Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. listeners for the latest episode of Plastic Model Mojo. Dave and I have managed to stumble our way into double digit episodes now. So welcome to episode 10 of Plastic Model Mojo and hopefully we'll give you a little relief to this uh, COVID lockdown. Let's get started. Good evening there, Dave. Good evening, Mike. How are you doing? Uh, Again, all things considered, I can't (laughs) complain too much. Nothing's changed a whole lot. Yeah, well, the last couple of weeks. Well, everybody's safe, and we're both uh, still working. Puts us a lot better than a lot of people these days. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So uh, what modeling fluid are you drinking tonight? I'm actually drinking beer tonight. I am drinking uh, a pale ale called Halfway Home by Country Country Boy Brewing, which is local to uh, Lexington, Kentucky. Over the last, gosh, how long has it been now? 12 years or so, we've had seven or eight pop up and be be successful enough to be hanging in there. And Country Boy was kind of the, the second one to show yep. up. Halfway Home is not my favorite from them. Um, it's a little high on the citrus for me. Do you like their cougar bait? Uh, that's probably my second favorite. Their Shotgun Wedding is my favorite at, of all. Hmm. Now, what is that's Shotgun really- Wedding? It's it's almost a porter, but not quite. So it's it's a little dark, and it's got a really heavy vanilla mm. um, tone to it. It's, it's really good, but you know this is like almost grapefruit juice. You know what I mean? <laughs> See now, those kind of beers I tend to like, so I'll have to remember that. Now, if I pour it in a glass, it's a lot easier for me to get through it. I I, I like it, but it's, it's not one I would normally pick. I don't I don't think they. My opinion is I don't think they pair well with much. Oh, okay. Well, what are you drinking tonight, Dave? Well, uh, as I'm sure you well know, because it's your fault, uh, I'm I'm drinking uh, a uh, bullet bourbon, but it's not your classic regular bullet bourbon. Uh, I was going out the other day uh, looking to, to acquire a new bottle of some bourbon, and... Uh, you and I were texting back back and forth, and you suggested the uh, Bullet Bourbon uh, Barrel Strength. And uh, my local liquor store happened to have it. And uh, it is, now we've talked about Bullet before, really good smooth bourbon, uh, value for the money, very good. Uh, I know you know, but a lot of listeners don't know that uh, when bourbon is made, it's made in charred white oak barrels. And when the aging process is complete, the barrels are opened and they're all generally mixed together and then some water added to get it to a specific alcohol content. Um, in, the re- in, in the case of regular bullet, I think it's what uh, about 86 proof, 43% alcohol. Um, but 
casks or, or barrel strength is where they open the barrel and they do not cut it. And, and thus you get a much stronger drink. Um, uh, this uh, uh, bullet uh, barrel strength is about 62.5% alcohol. So it's 125 proof as opposed Ooh. to 86. Yeah. Uh, it tastes... A little hot. Yeah, I was going to say. It tastes very much like regular bullet. You've got the same notes, the same smooth the same vanilla the same uh general notes as if you were drinking regular bullet but it is hot i mean you can taste the alcohol much more you can makes your lips tingle it does um it's like getting kicked in the head by a stubborn kentucky mule uh Hopefully, uh, I'm going to sip. You would not want to drink this without ice. Uh, I've got it. uh, I've got it on the rocks. Uh, Hopefully, I can sip it slow enough that by the end of the podcast, I'll still be coherent. But uh, I can sure tell you otherwise, uh, this one would knock you on your butt. It's it is strong. I'm not sure I would choose it as my regular drink or a regular drink, but it's, uh, it's enjoyable as something different. Here, I got a shout out for our Canadian friends. Uh, All right. You remember SCTV? Yep. And, uh, Stuart might remember. I don't know if Anthony, he may not be old enough to remember. I don't know. I don't know how old he is, but. There you go. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Hoser. Hoser. That's right. We should be wearing yeah. flannel right now. And, and knit hats. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, Strange Brew is one of the great movies of all time. All right, man. Yeah. We were a little a bit active uh, again with the listener mail, which is a, a great, great thing to have. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about um, it? Well, let's see. We've got an email here from uh, Mr. Russell. Sorry. Edward Russell. And Ed is, well, I'll just read it. Just found your podcast a few days ago, and I'm really enjoying it. I just built my first two models last week, and I'm anxiously waiting the next few I've ordered to arrive. So he's just gotten into this hobby. Yeah, great. Listening to your podcast has helped pass the time and taught me a few things between checking the shipping details every other five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I feel you. Model building is... Model building has been a godsend with this lockdown going on, even though I am one of the expendables. Oops, I mean essential. (laughs) And I still go to work every day, and I too am feeling uh, the claustrophobic pressure of not being able to go anywhere or do anything. That was until those first two kits arrived, and I found myself immersed in the building and painting. My wife even got involved in in painting on one. The weekend raced by faster than even before the world stopped, which brings me back to you guys. I just finished the episode covering the convention practically in my backyard that I didn't even know about. Oh, I forgot to mention he is from Lafayette, Indiana. Oh, okay. So he's referring to the Roscoe Turner show. Right. He says uh, he has no idea what PE is, but I'm looking forward to finding out. Uh, no, you're not. No, no, <laughs> no you are not. <laughs> uh, 
So, you know, that's interesting. He's, he's found something new to do. It, and, you know, we were talking last night about those uh, Airfix Spitfire sales during all this pandemic yeah. lockdown. So apparently uh, Ed's not the only one. That's great. I mean, that's, that's, uh, uh, it's good for modeling. It's good for people who are trapped inside their houses. I mean, that's win, win, win all the way around. And, you know, as long as the mail order holds out and your local hobby shop does curbside sale, uh, we'll get through this. He's got his wife in on it. You think Ruthie would go for that? Uh, no. Although Ruth, Ruthie's uh, been devoting herself during the, the uh, lockdown to uh, cooking. And she was a fantastic cook already, but she's been doing a lot of new stuff. And, oh my God, I'm, I've got to do something to to lose weight or to keep it off. You're going to gain weight during lockdown. Oh God, she's killing me. This stuff is fantastic. Every night is just fantastic food. Uh, she did a Madeira chick, uh, Madeira chicken tonight that I literally was full and just kept eating because it was so good. I better not chase the fork there too much. Yeah, I know. Let's see what else we got. Stuart Malone from uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Stuart's the president of IPMS Great Plains. Good club. You read an email from listener Kelly Spracklin asking about a Roden Bristol F2B kit, and I'd like to get them on the right track. I'm an avid World War One aircraft modeler, almost entirely in 72nd scale. So there you go. Wow. Yeah, no doubt. I've built the Roden Bristol and is an excellent kit. It is many orders of magnitude better than the Airfix Bristol. That might be a low bar. Yeah. <laughs> I understand where you're coming from, as most Roden kits are of great detail, but almost always or almost all suffer from fit issues. This includes both their 72nd scale aircraft and their 32nd scale aircraft. However, the last handful of World War One aircraft kits they produced in 72nd scale before exiting the genre were of near Edward quality compared to the time they were released, which includes the Newport 24, the Newport 27, and the Bristol F2B for sure. Maybe others. I've also built the Newport 27, which is a divine kit as well. And uh, he goes on and uh, sends a few pictures of his uh, his Bristol. Well, if it let us, we'll put them up on the, on the Facebook page. He's right. When I saw Road and I was like, oh, crap, especially when it was a... Uh, a 72nd scale biplane. Yeah. I mean, you talk about a lot of stuff to go wrong. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, it's, I'm, I'm not surprised that he does world war one aircraft given where he's located. Uh, the world war one museum is in Kansas city, the national okay. world war one museum, neat place. Uh, I went to a national in Kansas city in Oh five great town at a great time now the next one here i wonder if he's possibly friends with uh the on the bench crowd because uh, he's got a dot au extension on his email address uh, it's mr tony jacob some from somewhere in australia he didn't he didn't give me a, a city or state uh this one's a little long but we'll, we'll get through it here uh hi mike and dave really liked your comments on finishing and weathering and the new versus old approach I got back into modeling only a few years ago, and the two big differences that I had to get used to are the new style and social media. The new style is something I think is created by what I think of as the competitive judging effect. Competitions are great if that's what you like, 
but as the styles and materials change, so do the expectations and preferences in judging. It's not a good or bad thing, just natural evolution, but combine that with social media and suddenly model competition thinking changes from just preferences for a particular area of modeling for competitions to becoming a rule book that every build made public is judged against. The vast majority of published builds get at least a few comments judging them, either positive, positively or negatively, against expectations set by uh, this competition-style modeling. It's well-meaning, but the end result is that anyone who prefers to build a different way, say the Verlinden or Payne way, or super clean or simplified or whatever, will have their builds critiqued at best and criticized at worst. Somewhere along this line, the idea of modeling just for fun has just, or just to make yourself happy has been mostly lost. Nearly every modeler knows it's an issue and it's talked about frequently in the model, model media, but that doesn't stop everyone's natural reaction to comment on builds to be based on the current normal. One of the best things about the podcast from you and your buddies in Australia and Canada is that you are all down to earth modelers who, whose priority always seems to be helping, helping people just enjoy modeling more not getting them to do it a particular way. There's no right or wrong in modeling. Everyone can improve their modeling, but the only way to measure your improvement is, is if, uh, are you happier with the result? Here, here. Not measured against someone else's standard. And he's, you know, he says, sorry, sorry, I could rant on this for hours. <laughs> um, you know, I empathize with that because, you know, it's kind of what knocked me out of, out of the game for a little while. Yeah. Well, I, I do think that, Okay. If you want to imitate a particular style or if you want to do something more on a particular build, that's great. But you shouldn't feel pressure to do it to meet somebody else's expectations. It, ultimately, I don't care how good a builder you are. If you're not having fun doing it, it's something you've lost. <laughs> you've lost something. If you're doing it and doing it well and hating it, yeah, you, it, it won't last as a hobby and it's not bringing you what you what a hobby's supposed to bring you. Well, I would say to Tony that, you know, having fun and enjoying the hobby is and being helpful are certainly the reasons we're doing this. And I'm pretty sure our Australian and Canadian friends are kind of in it for the same, a lot of the same reasons. I don't, you know, I don't get that kind of vibe from either of them and it's Apparently the listeners aren't either, which is, I think is a really good thing. Yep. Now I want to go back to Stuart Malone because he had a PS that I, I forgot to mention. Um, he asked if Dave needs a bandmate for the hillbillies <laughs> down under. I'm well-practiced in kazoo and can fill in on mouth harp and jug. Um, unfortunately, Stuart, um, the banjo player I knew was thoroughly unimpressed. So I think the band's a bust. <laughs> Dang it. Shoot. Oh, well. all right. We'll come up with something. We'll come up with something. Uh, one last thing. Um, I, I looked and I couldn't find it. It wasn't in my email and it, I couldn't find it in the uh, community comment section or the, any of the replies. I, I probably just missed it, but someone wrote in about doing a topic on repo, reposing scale figures, um, you know, mass yeah. market figures. Um, I don't have a way to respond to that. If you're listening and you sent that to me, uh, please drop us an email at plasticmodelmojo at gmail.com and uh, I'll give you a proper answer. That would be an interesting topic. Could be. Yeah. 
And then finally, before we, before we move on, um, we talked a little bit about trying to go weekly, but I don't, I don't know if that's going to work out for us yet. And then we've both been dabbling with uh, getting our gear ready to possibly do a little video stuff. Yeah. Um, so along that vein, I, I can't say we've got anything pending. We're still kind of playing around with it. But I've been kind of cleaning up the, the shop in anticipation of this. <laughs> <laughs> so uh you, you don't know, want people I'm, I'm to know what it looks like it's like having friends come over yeah oh, god like, i gotta uh, get it <laughs> um i was making great progress and then i i'm looking at all these magazines and periodicals so um with this episode i want to start something new at the tail end of listener mail and uh i've got a, a listener question of the episode uh, I'm going to kind of tack onto this, not really as a new segment, but a short addendum to uh, listener mail. And the question for this episode, and please respond on the Facebook page, messages uh, again, plasticmodelmojo at gmail.com, however you want to do it. Um, how long do you keep hobby related print periodicals? Now, I'm not, I don't, these are periodicals, magazines, newsletters, that kind of thing, stuff that just accumulates. Uh, and, as opposed to, you know, a reference book that may actually have a little more value to hang on to. Uh, just curious because sometimes I've been really bad about this in my modeling history and other times I've kind of got rid of that stuff pretty quick, but right now I'm sitting on a pretty big stack and I was just curious what everybody else does with it. Listeners, as we all know, there's only one correct answer to this question and that is you keep them forever. So you all go ahead and comment, but I've already given him the correct answer. That's why you moved to a bigger house, right? Yeah, that's right. My wife claims that I'm not a modeler. I'm a librarian who collects models. Uh, uh, it may start spilling out into other parts of the house at some point. But uh, while the listeners are out there, A, we love the interactions uh, on the Facebook page. Please keep it up. Uh, please keep commenting, messaging, posting your own stuff. When you're list done listening to this episode, if you would please go to the rating system on whatever app you're listening to us on, either Apple or, or Stitcher or whatever, and give us a five-star rating. Um, we, you know, it's not like, it's not for our egos or anything. What it does is the more people who rate it five stars makes it rise in the algorithm that the, uh, that the uh, podcast apps use. And so it will make us more visible to more people. So if you do that for us, we'd appreciate it. So uh, Mike, uh, what's your bench top looking like? It's pretty clean. It is. <laughs> well, so I what's tell been you, going on? Well, I well, work's been interfering again. Imagine that. Oh God, you just have to quit that thing. <laughs> I know. Well, I've I've I'm progressing nicely on the Zis two. Uh, I've made How's it through that gun the shield. Is it on solid? Oh yeah, I got to back up a little bit. <laughs> so I, I, I broke it. hadn't had a it wasn't quite a disaster, but I thought it was going to be for a while. I was working brush painting highlights under the optivisor, which is great for right in front of your face, but you, you lose, you, you have no depth of field yeah. beyond, beyond the focal length. So I, I crashed it into the edge of the workbench and broke the gun shield off. And it's a really delicate model. 
and I managed to get it back together. I almost panicked. Yeah, that was scary. But anyway, I, I got it back. I got it touched up. I've finished the, the highlight painting on the gun and I've moved on to the split trail now. And when I work on it, I, I can get a lot done. I think I'll have the split trail done in a couple of days, probably if I keep it up, if I can stay on it. You mentioned when we were talking the other day that the, that the kit molded the split trail rails in two pieces, halves. Yes, anything, any round section in that mini art kit that's over, oh, three millimeters in diameter, maybe, maybe four, like the split, the split trail arms, the gun barrel, yeah. all the recoil pistons, all that is molded in a left and right half. That's bizarre. I, I, I would not have thought that the split trails would be molded as half, top and bottom halves or side to side I should, halves. Yeah, I've got a. I've got the, a couple of ZIS-3 kits, which is almost the same kit in, in the stash. I'll have to see if I can put the engineering on, eye on that and see maybe why they did that. But the kit's beautiful. I mean, the Fidelia scale, it's, it's got a lot of finesse to it. The gun shield's really thin. Um, I've added some PE to it that was actually meant for another incarnation of that gun by a different company a long time ago. I've kind of picked a few th- of the usable bits out of it. So I, it's a... It's a really nice model. It's really, really delicate. And I'm glad I sl- saved the uh, split trail for last because it, it's it's got a lot of uh, PE that's, you know, barely hanging on there. Yeah. Well, we all love PE. Everybody knows. So I've got to be careful with it. But again, I should be able to uh, get the highlights finished. And then I'm probably going to put a satin coat on it. And then all the oil paint jazz will start on it. L- actually looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. So how's the Airfix kit, the Bofors? <clears throat> um, you, you know, you saw the post. I I've got uh I got the crew figures finished and those came out really good, I thought. Yeah, for, very, for very much I, for seventy second scale made in the seventies. Yeah, for what I started with, um they came out pretty nice and every everything has some paint on it now. Um I've got, well, the tractor and the gun are all painted. So all the wheels are, have base coat on them. And I'm, I'm about to start the kind of same thing I'm doing on the, uh, on the Zist two, uh, mm. with, with the, the Morris tractor and, and the gun yeah. looking, looking forward, I'm for, looking forward to wrapping that one up too. That one's been a fun little build, but it, it needs to needs to move forward other than that i think that's it i don't think mm-hmm. i haven't started anything new yet well we'll get to that later in the episode yeah we probably will <laughs> what about you well uh the mig 17 and the as1 have both firmly moved into the paint shop uh the mig i primed it you know anytime you prime you find the flaws that you didn't see before so went back fix those, uh, re-engrave some panel lines, which that is a skill that uh, I need help with. So anybody out there with any tips, uh, send them my way. I think that's one of my big weaknesses in modeling is re-engraving. So I'm going to have to to concentrate on that in the future. But got everything re-engraved, reprimed it, 
the MiG-17. Uh, I'm trying a slightly different uh, um, paint effect on this one, and I started it with uh, kind of pre-shading slash reverse marbling on the underside. Uh, got that done last night. Uh, hope to get the rest of the pre-shading and reverse marbling done on the top side after we record. Uh, AS1's also in the paint shop. Uh, should be getting a uh, final paint coat, coat soon as well. Uh, which leaves me in the conundrum that I've got no construction projects on my bench. So we'll, we'll have to talk about that a little bit later. Ha, I just got a, uh, a reply back from Stuart Clark at uh, scale model podcast. Fa according to Facebook, it's his birthday today, April 19th. So happy birthday. Stuart. Happy birthday. Though it'll be a little late. Once you hear this, that's all right. <laughs> it's the thought. Well, you're, you're modeling circles around me right now with that MIG. So I got to <laughs> step up my game. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to get something finished. That's well, if you get those two, get those two done. And the, uh, the one you already finished, that'd be three. That's, um, that's awful good production for me for a year. That, that's a pretty good day of year. Yeah. Well, um, you know, that's something that I'm struggling with that you and I'll have to talk about because I, I want to build both better and faster. And I'm not sure that those two things are completely compatible. Although I do think the more you build, the faster you build, you get you, your skills get sharper and you don't you don't make as many mistakes, or at least that's what I'm hoping. So hopefully by building more. I'm going to commit fewer mistakes and I'll be able to crank a little more stuff out. Well, we need some new projects. That's right. We'll talk about that. Lockdown has everybody on model websites and eBay and all that jazz. Has your wallet suffered uh, any in the last couple of weeks? Not as badly as it could have, but well, after, after a compressor that, Costs an arm and a leg, and almost anything's going to be better than that. Um, uh, actually, I did get a whole bunch of MiG-17 detail stuff uh, for my next MiG-17 build, um, which will come eventually and soon. Um, our local hobby shop scale reproductions, while it's closed because of the pandemic to walk-in traffic, uh, Brian is still open and he's still servicing the, his clients. So you can order stuff from him or you can, if he's got it in stock, you can go by and, and you get curb, curbside service. And uh, that's keeping him in business. And uh, so I patronized him by having him order some MiG-17 stuff for my next build. And I also bought a new cutting mat, uh, Humbrel, uh, you know, normal cutting mats you see are green. Uh, Humbrel, however, uh, makes one, makes theirs in red and, uh, they have a couple of different sizes and they have scale rulers actually built into the, the printing on the mat. 
So that was a nice little thing. So I picked one of those up, but uh, nothing big, just uh, just little things here and there. How about you? Uh, I had to get a repair kit for my inert gas regulator on my CO2 tank. That's almost modeling. Well, it, it facilitated modeling. You know, I was worried I was going to buy a new regulator. And at that point, I was probably just going to get a compressor. But I found a repair kit for about 40 bucks. That's not bad. So that's not bad at all. So that took me about 10 minutes to get that working again. Once that came, it really wasn't that complicated. How were you able uh, to diagnose the problem? That's to me, well, of course, you're an engineer. I, I guess it, probably a little I more took odd. it apart. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, the the problem was obvious the moment you took it apart. Yeah, there was a there was a pin in there with a gasket over molded onto it. The thing had just been completely chewed up. Gotcha. I don't know if some lubrication had had had, had wrecked the uh, the polymer that it was molded out of or what. But it it what was happening was I I turned the you know it'd be set for, to twenty or eighteen psi. It's kind of where I normally start, and then I back down right. from there after I get my brush going. Yeah, um, me too. It was it was tripping the uh, is is rolling straight up past the max on the line pressure and and tripping the, uh, the safety valve on it. Hmm. So so something wasn't working inside, obviously. Yeah, good save. Good save, wasn't bad. Let's see, I bought a few more things. I got uh, I got an ICM Polycarpov I sixteen type twenty four in your scale of choice, not the big the big one. <laughs> I got so the little to, bitty one. So you've acquired another seventy second scale aircraft. Of my understanding, I, you I have. All right, you are correct. <laughs> I got a we, got a, we'll I got a half. I got a half dozen now. We'll get you. And, and this thing. You know, we talked about it. And man, I thought you were my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to do the I-24, man, you know? Uh, I, I know. And, you know, this thing's like spinner to the, the tail horn on the back of it is like 70 millimeters. Yep. It is not a large <laughs> airplane. And this, this little kit is cut up like it was a lot larger in scale. I mean, the port and starboard engine access panels are molded separately. Yep. The, the the machine gun covers are separate. Yep. It's got the, it's got the truss work to mount the engine to the firewall, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, Oh man, there's a lot going in this little guy. Well, and go out. If you, I, if you, if you want to be uh, uh, truly depressed, go out on the internet and do some Google searches for builds of that. Cause it is, for all its challenges, it is the great basis for a complete trick-out build of that aircraft. So, uh, I'm well, and I, see, I see, I see part part out of Poland has a little PE set for it. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's they really do. useful. Yep. It doesn't have a lot of you know BS kind of stuff in it. It's, it's got pretty rudimentary improvements. What you need to do is check and see if Yahoo makes a panel for it. An they do. Panel. They have yeah. one. You, yeah, you, there, there is you, one. You must get that. That is, Yahoo panels are simply, especially for the price that they they go for, um, 
they're just they they do so much to improve a model now with a closed canopy you know it, sometimes it doesn't matter as much but uh uh with an i16 uh, that that'll make a big difference i think so i'll probably pick that up i you know part isn't distributed very widely and jadar out of poland's about the best place to get it and i went ahead and sent them an email and they're not shipping anything out of the country right now so sure uh gonna have to wait a little while on this one oh, that's I, all right. I was considering it for my next build but it's gonna have to wait now <laughs> my, my my biggest biggest purchase since we went through this list or went through this segment last time is uh i bought the u.s navy catapult from white ensign in 72nd scale yeah because you love photo etch so much right uh, yeah, this is a big old fret. L- little story with this one. I ordered this from Tom's Model Work out in Huntington Beach, California. And when it arrived, it arrived in a unstiffened uh, bubble bubble mailer. And it didn't it didn't travel well. Wait a minute, you're saying the US Postal Service did not treat it with the care and loving tenderness that you would expect them to treat all of our mail? No, I think a gorilla f- threw it in the bin with everything else. <laughs> That's probably what happened. Yeah. Now, Tom's Model Works is run by a gentleman named Richard Harden. Yep. And I sent an email out there, and this is a little terse. I've kind of felt bad after he replied so nicely back to me, but you know. It's expensive sheet. Yeah. And he promptly replaced it with one mail between two slabs of cardboard. So I've got, I've got two now. One, one's not buildable. It was, it was pretty thoroughly wrecked. Um, but there may be enough of it. That I can do a little practice on it before I actually commit to the, to the real one. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. It's a really well detailed and really well etched at set um, i've seen it. it it's got some engineering concerns that they really ought to consider maybe revising that one um huh. maybe an engineer needs to help them out do you know one i do but i don't know if i want to do a whole pe set of that magnitude <laughs> uh it's it's got a lot of edge joining there's no like you fold the the base and the two side uh trusses up and then the the, the top of it just butts right to the edges of those things. There's no tabs or anything for it to sit on. So it's going to, it's going to be a challenge. That's why I was asking you the other night about the Albion alloys, structural shapes, because um, they make a one by one millimeter L stock that I think is the solution to this assembly issue with this catapult. Yeah. Albion makes a lot of very, very useful stuff. Uh, So I think, I think we're going to, gonna be picking up a couple of links of that and practicing some soldering and see if uh because there's about a one millimeter margin on the top truss that you could hide this behind yeah and the real one probably had something like that under there anyway truth be told well that's all i bought this this i got my eye on a few things but we'll talk about that next time you and me both i always (laughs) have my i always have my eyes on things So tonight, our special segment, 
it's kind of came out of some conversations we've had over the last few weeks off off air. Um, just kind of talk about subject selection and project planning. I think that might be an interesting. I'm, I'm interested to hear an armor modeler's take on this because I think aircraft modelers may be different. Maybe not. It may be not, but aircraft modelers may be different, or maybe it's just me. Well, let's start with subject selection first okay. before we get into the pr- project planning. And since I've kicked off the segment, you get to go first. What, okay. what, uh, what makes you pick something? Well, it's one of two things. That's what I was going to say. The, uh, aircraft modelers may be different than armor modelers in this. There are two distinct things that influence at least me, and I think a lot of aircraft modelers. There are markings and camo schemes, and then there are subjects. In general with me, there are some things where I want to build them because of their specific markings. Uh, Just to give you an example, uh, one of my areas of interest is the uh, Ploesti raid, uh, Operation Tidal Wave. Um, and I would love to build a bunch of the B-24s that participated in that raid. And there are now um, a lot of decals available for that. Those are ones that are markings builds, and I'm unlikely to super detail them. I might go a little more than out of the box, but the subject matter of the of the particular prototype vehicle is not what's important in those builds. I want to build a B-24 so I can put a particular set of markings on it. Same thing with uh, Pearl Harbor. I would love to do a Pearl Harbor collection. I've actually already started. I want to do, as far as the Japanese aircraft go, one set of uh, aircraft from each of the each of the carriers, um, the Japanese carriers. Uh, so those are markings builds. They're, I'm unlikely to to super detail something like that. And then there are subject builds, ones where I'm particularly interested in the particular prototype. Uh, MiG-17 would be a a good example. I'm building this first Airfix MiG-17 out of the box because I know I'm going to build a bunch of other ones and I'm going to super detail them because I have an interest in that particular subject. the N1K2J George uh, is another one that I want to build one uh, and super detail it. I have a bunch of stuff for it, and I've been researching and planning, etc. And so there are markings builds for me, and there are research builds for me or detail builds for me, and. It's really one or the other. And sometimes I go back and forth. I'll do one or two markings projects, and then I'll deep dive into a detail project. But I'm not sure armor modelers are the same way. Or what's, what do you, what's your experience? Most of mine end up research builds. Uh, 
I've got this gift or curse for kind of a random association and I'll, I'll be reading a, a, a reference book. You know, I'll pick up reference books on, on, on top uh, subjects I'm interested in, whether yeah. I have an immediate need, especially if it's a particularly good, good reference. You know, I'm looking at a big four stack bookcase right now. That's just jam packed. Um, librarian and uh, librarian. Exactly. And I'll, I'll, I'll stumble across a photograph and there'll be something about it that really catches my eye. And then it'll just, it'll just go from there typically. And I'll start, you know, I'll start looking at, you know, what kits are available. Um, what aftermarkets available, even the markings, but you know, for armor, most of the time the markings are rather generic. There's, there's some that, you know, are, you know, Russian slogan tanks or other named tanks, some of the other armies or something like that. Um, you know, some, some don't have markings at all. So it's not, I don't really do the markings thing like an aircraft guy would, but, uh, I will pick and they'll be within, you know, my main sphere of interest is, is the Eastern front, but also I like the early campaigns from, you know, Poland and France subjects along that genre. I don't, I don't, don't do forget a lot of Norway. Yeah. See, I don't do a lot of Norway. I don't do a lot of North Africa. Um, and I don't do a lot of, uh, of the Western allies. Just, I haven't, uh, as of yet had, had a, a picked interest in, in that yet, but I think, uh, there's a firefly I want to do. So that one, that one's kind of coming up the list, but I'll just get into it and I'll, I'll see how much more reference I can find on something. And if it starts shaping up into something that looks, looks doable, um, it'll move up the list and eventually I'll, I'll do it. Well, that's how, that's how, that's how I pick them. Yeah. My, the one problem I, I encounter with something where you want to do a really, what I call a detail build is you can fall into the trap of never having enough information and therefore you never end up doing it. Um, that you you end up, you do research and, and you gather a bunch of stuff up, but there's just, you, you get the feeling that you need something more. And so you end up actually never doing something you really want to do because you you don't want to accept that you don't have everything you might need. Because you find it when you're done. Yeah, well, th- that's the truth of it too. <laughs> but, but you can't let it. You can't let that not let you build something you want to build. Otherwise, you know, yeah, something's going to come out after you finish your build. But still, you need to build it. I mean. After you built the Allen SU-76, to me, it actually produced an SU-76. Well, many are did before them. There's, mm-hmm. there's two. So See? I could do another one of those, but, but it wouldn't be as much fun now. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that, there, that's a good point. Fun. When you're doing a detailed build like that, where, where you're basically starting with something and having to redo a lot of it or scratch build a lot of it. I assume for you, that's a big part of the fun and enjoyment. It is. And that kind of 
gets into the project planning. Yeah. Um, well, like for you, the, the, the markings builds, the scheme builds, or once you have what you need, the markings and the, and the enough and views the kit, to do right. that, the view and the kit, that's, that one's, that's pretty straightforward, but for a detailed build on an aircraft, what, what are your kind of well steps from once you, once you've got the subject picked? I will tell you generally, it always, almost always starts with reading something interesting, history. I mean, again, librarian who models rather than a modeler um, who buys books. I will, I read voraciously. I read a lot of history. Um, and at some point I will read something somewhere and that will start my interest in a particular subject. Um, there's a book, uh, just to give you one example, there's a book called Genda's Blade about the, uh, the 343rd uh, Kokutai, uh, Japanese fighter unit. Kind of, It was kind of the Japanese equivalent of JV-44, um, a, a, a band of aces late in the war where they gathered a lot of their top pilots in one unit. Well, that's read that book. That started me down an interest in the in the the George, the Japanese fighter aircraft, the George. Well, not long after that, I got a chance to go to the National Museum of Naval Aviation, one of my favorite museums in the world, down in Pensacola, Florida, and they have a George. Uh, so does the uh, museum, the United States Air Force Museum in Dayton. So. Uh, I got to go and just take a ton of detail photographs. Well, combine that with, that takes my interest from the book to actually getting to touch the real thing, which is always inspiring, to then starting to gather reference. And then because there are several examples of George's still in existence, there's a ton of good reference uh, for them. And that starts me down the road to doing the research I need. And in fact, uh, uh, that George is on my short list to, to build. Um, my only question at this point is, all right, am I ready for a detail build? Because usually after I do a detail build, I don't want to hop into another one. Usually I do a couple of markings builds to take a break and then get back into it when I get inspired to, to do something more thorough. Uh, you tend to do almost everything more thorough. Um, although I don't think you've added a ton to this, this too, did you? It's it's well, yeah, I kind of have, I've, I need to share the in-process photos I have of it. That that kit, well, there was a ZIS-2 conversion. It, well, it was a kit. It was, you remember Maquette? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> well, they they had they had these kind of special kits. They, they were in gray boxes with really crude gray line art. Yeah. Grayscale line art. 
of the subject on the front. There was no color artwork on them. And one was a Zist 2. And what it was was the Itulary slash Zvezda Zist 3 with this big sheet of flash that had what looked like a gun shield and 57 millimeter gun barrel, et cetera. And the, and the, and the limber, the caisson parts to do it as well. And then Edward came out with an etch set to replace all that. And then mini art released theirs. So that was a no brainer. I don't mind a bad kit, but that was, that was beyond the pale really. So I salvaged a fair amount of the photo etch details, you know, the tool clips and all that kind of stuff from the, from that Edward set. Now the, the mini art set didn't need the gun shield or any of that. Cause it was so well done already. But anyway, so it's a detail build. Uh, the PT 76 I just finished was not a detail build. Of course, the little Bofors is not either, but you know, right now I'm in the throes of trying to plan something new and it will be a detail build for sure. You just feel the, you feel inspired to do something very detailed. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, a lot of the working through kit issues and, and improving things is where I get a lot of satisfaction and l- like your, your George, we, we talked we, well, you joked about it last episode about this, uh, Polish seven TP, which is still kind of high on my list right now. And, you know, we're talking about project planning to kind of take you through that one, what that would take and how I would go about it. Um, for, well, to give a, a, a comment back to the, on the bench guys, they, they were talking about, uh, what makes a great kit in one of their really recent episodes, not the most recent, but the one before. Right. And, uh, they kind of got around to, I guess, you know, there's, a, there's the enjoyment factor in all this and it's not kind of a necessarily what's in the box answer to that question. Yeah. Um, it's more of a satisfaction at the end and with all things considered at that point. Um, for this seven TP, it's, it's going to be, be that way. Uh, I kind of got interested in this tank a long, long time ago. Um, when I saw the color profiles in the book titled Blitzkrieg from squadron signal, that's one of Steve, Steven Zaloga's early, early works in the hobby and a couple of photographs. And then about 1990, a little Polish company called called Sponia released a kit. And I think it's the only kit they did. And to date, it's still the only 7TP and 35th scale that's ever been released that I know of. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you know, it's from Poland uh, in 1990. Well, at least until you do a complete detail build. And then, of course, Tamiya will release a a brand new kit, fully detailed and up to the latest uh, <laughs> technology, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it'd be to me. I don't think it'd be to me, but somebody will do it. Um, yeah. You know, this kit, it's really pretty horrible uh, because it's because of the side, it's the way it's, it's all slab, the, the lower halls slab construction. So it's a bottom and two sides. And because the moldings are so thick, they forced all the detail compromises to the toward the center line of the vehicle so all all the upper hull details are all too narrow all of them 
So this build, if I start with that kit, it's going to take a lot of work. And just for a little history, you know, I've, since that kit ever became available, I've only ever seen three of them built. And that includes Zaloga's publication build when he built it, when it came out. And the other one's Tom's from the club. Yeah. I've only ever seen one built at a model show ever anywhere. I mean, it's, 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 <laughs> it's a lot of fun. So I had that kit out the other night and I'm kind of, my process is to, okay, I've collected reference. Um, Oh, what's the company tank power. That's Polish publisher. Yeah. Uh, they've got three different soft cover books on the seven TP. It covers the gun tanks, the machine gun tanks. And there was an artillery tractor that was based on the same, same chassis, which is all, all goes back to the Vickers six ton development. And it, you know, that became the seven TP. It became the, the Soviet T 26s, which that's usually what you would see. You'd see this kit built up with conversion kits, resin kits into a T 26. <laughs> so I've, I got, the, I've got the books. I've got enough physical reference to do the model. It's, it's just the, the will to get started. Um, if you take the kit and kind of go through that, I've got the kit I look at the kit. What's, what's usable here. Um, I think I can use the lower hull with some widening and the turret and a few of the turret pieces. And that's really about it because since that kit's come about, uh, that running gear system has been done really well by hobby boss and their Soviet T 26 kits. So clearly that's where it's going to come from. It's got to get all the hull has to be built from scratch. Mm. Do you uh, now when you do one of these detail builds for a shorthand, let's call it detail build, do you run other stuff in parallel with it? Because that's one of the things with aircraft modeling. Let's say I'm going to throw myself into a detail build on the MiG 17 or the George or whatever. In general, at the same time I'm doing that, I will run a markings build or two because, you know, you you sometimes run into uh, walls. You hit a wall uh, on, a, on a detail build. And for me, if I'm running a markings build or two at the same time, I can say, okay, I don't want to do that today. I don't want to scratch build 18 cylinders for an engine or whatever it is. I'm going to go, uh, you know, assemble another Tamiya Zero, which is to me one of the most relaxing models I've ever built. Um, The only downside of that for me is that sometimes that can cause you to lose interest or push something away and never finish it. And Lord knows the, 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 the shelf of shame is, uh, is full of half <laughs> of half built kits. Uh, what do you do? Do you deal with it where you throw yourself just into one project or do you, uh, do you do stuff to break it up? Historically? Yes. I've been a really serial builder and 
the death sentence to getting anything done is me trying to start something on top of it. Now, right now I've got, I've kind of gotten out of that. And I think it's this kind of rebirth of my hobby and kind of approaching it with a little bit different mindset and not getting too wrapped up in the project. Now, as soon as I start one of these builds again, it could change. I don't know, but I've shown now I can, I can move more than one thing forward. So there's hope. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing is if you're throwing yourself into one of these detail builds, then you're not doing any painting or detailing or, uh, you know, any of the new techniques that you're trying to learn for a long period of time. And my opinion is that if you're not airbrushing nearly constantly, that is a skill that atrophies so quickly that I try and find myself always having at least one project in the paint booth so that I don't lose the airbrushing skills. Because for some reason to me, those are the ones that go the quickest. With this 7TP, you know, I've got a, I've got a kit that's not that great. And, and the quality of the kit has never stopped me before. You, you've known that. It's, oh, it really... If you build an Allen kit, you'll build anything. Well, it's I, I, in the past, I've had this mindset that it's I'm building a subject. I'm not building a kit. Right. The kit is a means to get there. Clearly, that's what the kit's for. But the, the kit could be, you know, if, if it's a stepping stone, it could be a really big one or it could be a tiny one. Right. It could be a blip, you know, a little pebble that you're stepping on trying to get started. So there's also a there's a there's a Aber PE set for that kit that's going to have some useful bits in it. And actually Armo, which was a, the resin offshoot of Jadar hobbies out of Poland, which I mentioned earlier, they actually did a replacement turret for this kit, but they don't make it anymore. And I've never seen it. If anybody has it out there listening, I would love to see it to see if it's actually worth chasing down. Uh, because eBay is your friend. It's, I've never seen one on eBay. Really? Wow. It's really, obs- it's really obscure. I, no, I, I think it was one of the, the last few things they did before they got out of the resin casting business. Gotcha. So I don't think there's that many out there. And I, I don't know how good it is. And the, the turret has some interesting fastener arrangements that I'm not sure how they executed. I'm not sure how I'm going to do it. Uh, that's, that's probably my biggest hurdle. I'll take it. I'll take this project and I'll, work through the major steps in my head before I ever start. I'll, I'll build this model in my brain before I start and try to have solutions to most of the problems. And that, that doesn't work all the time, but, uh, if you think through it, you can, uh, you can anticipate some of the pitfalls and get solutions for them before you're like actually trying to build it. Yeah. Which I is a roadblock. I think that's an engineer's mind. Well, it's this engineer's mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, for this Oscar, I mean, how, how much for, for an aircraft detail build for you personally, it's oh. going to be different for every, everybody, obviously. I mean, it is. You mean the George. The, sorry, the George. What's, what's the start? What's the, the what's start the kit? Is, the start is the Aoshima kit. It's a really good kit. Um, and 
believe it or not, it's the the unlike what you have to deal with, where you have to manufacture a large portion of what you need in order to get to what you want as your finished project. In general, with uh, a lot of aircraft kits, if you're going into a detail build, you're not really having to scratch build a lot of stuff or replace a lot of stuff. Uh, now, the MiG-17, when I do a detail build on it, there's a lot of stuff that that you'll that you'll add as scratch build detail parts, but the basic kit doesn't need to be complete. You know, I don't need to rebuild a hull. I don't need to rebuild a fuselage. The the Aoshima kit's great. So for me, detail doing a detail build is a matter of there's a really nice detailed engine, resin engine for the George. So I can build that, add spark plug wires and other stuff, and maybe open up a panel. Uh, same thing with the with the cockpit. Same thing with the gear uh, gear base. Um, it's not so much what you deal with as far as scratch building replacement parts for the kit parts as it is additive, like going ahead and taking the Aoshima kit, building the the kit, adding the resin engine. Uh, you know, opening up a panel or maybe replacing a panel with a with a, a thinner plastic or or metal manufactured panel so that you can open it and it will be scale size, scale thickness. But it's a it's a different level of uh, it's a different level of scratch building than what you deal with. Now, were I to build a Mach two kit assuming I completely lost my mind, um, those are kits that are so bad that you do end up actually having to uh, <laughs> replace major components. But I decided long ago that at my age, I'm too old to be building crappy kits and there are enough modern new kits of things that I want to build that in general... I'm not going to spend my time with kits that are just so bad that you have to replace major components. Now, I kind of get the impression for you that that's half the fun of it. It can be. It just depends on how bad it is. <laughs> you know, that's why that's why I plan because not not only do I when I open a kit, it's it's okay what would I like to improve on? And has the kit been broken down in a manner that that's going to be something I want to get into. So these, these, these kits out of Eastern Europe from, you know, the nineties where they don't have any slide mold hulls, they're all slab construction. It's not that difficult to, to get into that and start fixing things because just the way the kits engineered or not engineered, <laughs> um, you don't have to start, you don't have to saw it up essentially. Right, which that's a whole whole another wrinkle in that, but well, and that, that is another thing with aircraft because you have complex airfoil shapes. It's not the same as uh, a tank where you tend to have a lot of slab sided geometric shapes. 
I think we're, you see a lot of this kind of modeling in aircraft. You, you, most of it is you scale up, right? You, especially 32nd or 24th scale. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm thinking of Paul Bud's, Budzik's Typhoon. Is that yeah. what it was? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, good grief. <laughs> now, I'm or, a big fan uh, of him, but he, he's, yeah. So talk about somebody who goes the extra mile. Well, there's a guy named George Lee who the IPMS Nationals Award grant the 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 judges grand award is named after. Who? That's basically all he did was he scratch built large scale aircraft, and there's a whole book of his stuff called Scratch Built Aircraft, and you know stuff that is just. You look at it and and are amazed, and then you loathe yourself for your poor skills. I'm I'm a kit builder. <laughs> that guy was a modeler, and uh, you know I'm I'm happy being a kit builder. I I generally there's enough things out there that I want to build that I'm not going to have to resort to scratch building large amounts of replacement parts for a kit. But uh, that's that's not the part that I get the joy out of. I get the joy out of the construction of the kit, you know, maybe adding some details and then the painting and decaling and markings. Well, that's kind of wraps it up for me on that topic. I'm yeah. curious what the listeners, how they approach this, you know, or is it best kit and go from there? Or do you, you pick subjects where there's not such a great kit out there some more esoteric though in this renaissance that's getting harder to do yep find stuff that's not been kitted yet even kitted badly i mean right good grief i mean there's so much stuff out there now there's no there's no polish uh 70p yet we live in the golden age of modeling man i think you're right yeah no doubt so so everybody let us know let's let us know what you're what you're doing how you how you work through a project be yep. curious to hear how other Abs- people handle this. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, Mike, who, who do you want to shout out for this month? I want to shout out Brett Peacock and Peter Mossong. I hope that I'm saying that right. M-O-S-S-O-N-G. Uh, these gentlemen are from IPMS Auckland down in New Zealand. Brett Peacock is the secretary of that IPMS chapter, and Peter is a longtime member. And in this current float plane and catapult bender I'm on, <laughs> see, I'm in, I'm, I'm in the early planning stages for several of these, trying to pick one I think I could actually start with. Uh, I stumbled onto their newsletter, their a fairly recent one. It was December 2019. Um, and I was looking because uh, the guys that On the Bench had me on and Ian from on the bench had mentioned the airfix walrus, which unfortunately is a 48 scale kit. I'm sure it's fabulous. It is. Well, it, it is fabulous because, um, Peter from the IPMS Auckland chapter had reviewed a 148 scale kit from a company called Neo Omega out of the UK. Yeah. Uh, that was designed for this kit. And it's a, um, it's the kind of a section of the catapult and the trolley, the launch trolley. Right. And then they set, they sell an add-on that's one of the extensions. They don't sell they don't kit the entire thing. It's it's a the British Navy catapult was was a really it was big. It was it had double it had extension off both ends and it's probably one of the more complex ones out there. Uh 
And in this, in this review article, he mentioned that he had scaled drawings from somebody else who I'd never heard of at the time. So I fired off an email to uh, Brett because the article only had Pete and the last initial M. I, I didn't know who it was. So shot in the dark. I threw it out there. And on the same day, I got back an email. You know, I'd mentioned that I was interested in these scale plans and what I was planning on doing with them. And I received a lovely set of scale drawings uh, for this catapult with cross sections and everything. Uh, He sent me the magazine article that was where these drawings were from originally. So I've got the article, I've got the pages from the article, and I've got the drawings that have been separated out from it into separate sheets. And then he actually sent me a video, uh, an MP4 file, a video file of the wartime Royal Navy primer film on catapult familiarization. <laughs> Modelers are great people, man. I'll tell you, occasionally you run into a, to a, a, a real a-hole, but as a group, modelers are just some of the best people on the planet. And, uh, you know, people who would go out of their way to help you out. It just reinforces your faith in humanity. Yeah, I'm two for two because that's the same way I ended up with all those uh, those CAD drawings for the Luft or the Kriegsmarine catapult. Yep. On, yep. on the uh, on the Scharnhorst turret. Yep. Which, looking at three now, I've got this photo etch kit for the American one, or a an, an American one. That's not all the ones we use, right. but one of them uh and i've got these scale drawings of this royal navy one which is really complicated but i got a lot of information for it still it's a pretty pretty hairy build and the 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 Marine one is the most simple of all of them sounds like a collection at, at least the one on the sharn horse now the, the the bismarck class they, they had a retractable extendable uh catapult system yeah. on those but yeah, faith in humanity. This, I was really, really pleased. And I told him to give him a shout out because uh, I was just tickled pink when all this arrived in my in mailbox. Fantastic. That's fantastic. What about you? Well, I'd like to give a shout out to a uh, uh, fellow attorney and uh, West Coast modeler, Jim Bates. Uh, uh, Mr. Bates has been a, a longtime friend of uh, mine and He's doing what you and I are just starting to play around with um, in that he is doing what he calls a scale Canadian TV. Um, During the pandemic and the lockdown, he is doing short YouTube uh, videos, each about 10 minutes long, uh, where he's uh, giving you an update on what his latest projects are and you know, it's it's nothing sophisticated. It's not like a Night Shift or or Panzer uh, Meister Thirty Six or or some of those guys out there. It's just simple sharing of modeling when you don't have the ability to go to club meetings and share in person. Um, they're really enjoyable. Uh, he's a good good human being uh, and. Uh, they're they're fun to watch. They're fun to get little updates on. So uh, shout out to Jim for doing those, and I hope he keeps it up. Well, that's a coincidence. I just made the connection. 
Oh, you did? From my, from my beer can joke at the front end of the podcast. <laughs> Scale Canadian TV, SCTV. Yep, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and hopefully he won't get sued for, for copyright infringement. Well, he didn't spell it out. He, he just... Scale Canadian. Yeah. So. I, th- I think he's good. He's an attorney. Yeah. Well, uh, you'll be happy to know that I'm through my glass of uh, uh, barrel strength uh, uh, bullet, and I'm still sitting upright. So that seems like a good place to end things. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, we went over again a little bit, but. That's oh, right. well. Pandemic. What else are we going to do? Right. Pandemic. Yeah. All right, sir. Well, Dave, so many kits. So little time. You take care. Good night. All right. Bye, everybody.